I wanna invite you to continue in the worship of our Lord by opening up your Bibles to the book of John chapter five and also taking out your worship guide. We're gonna jump quickly into our, into our outline uh, for today, but we're, we're in week three of a series that we're calling the seven signs of the gospel of John or the seven signs uh, of John. And so we, we looked at Jesus turning water into wine the first week. And then last week, Jared did a phenomenal job, I thought, of walking us through the healing of the official son. And then today we're gonna see the healing at the pool of Bethesda and uh, in John chapter five. And so we'll be looking at verses one through uh, 18 but to invite you to that text, I, I want to first invite you to point number one of our outline, and it is this, is uh, we need to remember, as we looked at the first week, the correct lenses through which to read this story. So read the, uh, remember the correct lenses through which we're going to read the story. And so hold your place there in John 5, and flip all the way to the end of the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And so I'll remind you of what John tells us here. He says in verse 30 of chapter 20, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And so we're going to look at the seven signs of John. But John is telling us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus did many more signs than just seven, okay? So we're gonna look at seven, but there were many more that aren't written in this book. But he tells us, verse 31, this is so important. He says, but these are written, these are given to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chapter one is another uh, help to us as far as the lens that we're gonna look through as we read the story. John chapter one, verse 14, John writes, and the word became flesh, God became a human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 John says that from his fullness, as we look at his glory, from his fullness, we have received, we have all received grace upon grace. All right, one more place. John chapter two, where we were the first week with the wedding at Cana, the sign ends, uh, chapter two, verse 11, making sense of what I just told you about John 20 and John one. Look with me at verse 11 of John 2. It says, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and he manifested his glory. So he showed the glory. Afterwards, it says what? Verse 11, it says, and his disciples believed in him. So there's a pattern that we're gonna see throughout these signs and it's that we're gonna have glory to behold and then grace to believe. Okay, so we're gonna have something shown about Jesus for us to grab, hold on, for us to receive, to open up like a Christmas present. That's what we're given here in the book of John. And so we must remember that as we study this third sign. 
If you weren't here, and even if you were, I'll remind you, we define sign as this. It's more than a miracle, okay? It's not Jesus just flexing his God muscles and saying, here's what I can do. It's Jesus showing something about who he is and what he came to accomplish or what he has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. What we see about his kingdom through the sign. I gave you an illustration of it and I'll remind you of it one more time, but it's, you know, think about for me driving on the interstate and I see the sign that I was looking for, that being the Starbucks sign. And when I see the sign, I hit the blinker, I get off on the exit to go and get my what? To go get my venti Starbucks double shot on ice with uh, no classic syrup, two pumps of sugar-free cinnamon dolce, 2% milk's fine and give a little splash of half and half. Most high maintenance diva order alive, okay? Uh, but but that's, that would be, you know, when I see that sign, I know I can go get that drink. Okay, and so the sign itself is not what I'm drinking from. Uh, the sign is pointing me to where I go and I can drink. All right, so these signs are not in themselves what we need. They're pointing us to Jesus Christ, whom we need. All right, so just reminding you one more time, when we read this, the correct lenses, we're gonna read the story and we're gonna say, show me your glory. Show me your glory so that we might see and believe that you're the son of God, that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. We've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then what do we need to rest in? What do we need to see? And as we see it, to take hold of it, to open it up, that we might have life in his name, that from his fullness, we might receive grace upon grace. And so that's the correct lenses through which we will read this wonderful story found in the book of John chapter five. And so now number two, let's read the story and let's look for Christ and his glory. Uh, before we do that, I, I, wanna, I wanna pray over you. We're gonna ask the Lord to give us uh, the eyes to see and the ears to hear him today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your wonderful word, the word of life. I pray that as we open, as we read, as we study, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and we would have ears to hear your beautiful gospel. We would behold your glory and we would rest in your grace. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So join me there. Chapter five, we're gonna walk fairly slowly through, uh, through this text. And so starting there in the first verse, we're told that after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After this is after what we saw last week, after the healing of the official son, there was a feast of the Jews. We don't know what feast this is. There are three annual feasts that uh, if you were a, a Jewish person as G- Jesus Christ certainly was, that you would go to three annual feasts to Jerusalem, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not really sure which of the feast that this was. There's, there's some thoughts on what it was. It doesn't really matter uh, that much. It might chronologically a tad bit if that was what we were looking for, but it doesn't really make a huge difference. What we need to know is this, is that during the times of the festivals, the three annual festivals, was a time of Sabbath, okay? So during the time of the festivals, there was... In all three of those festivals, there's a period of time of Sabbath, of time to take a consecrated rest, 
And, uh, and either we find ourselves in that time period here, or we will find ourselves actually on a day of Sabbath or the Sabbath day. Uh, in that text. That is the most important context that we need to have as we begin to read this story. It's not as much what festival, but that this is during a time of Sabbath, as we will see in just a little bit. But Jesus goes to Jerusalem during a time of a feast. Verse two tells us, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. Uh, you can do your own research there. Read Nehemiah 3. If you want to see the sheep gate, it's just a gate to the, uh, to the city and uh, near the temple. And so it says, now there was a, in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, just a couple of notes there for you. Bethesda means house of mercy. So it might be good for you to jot that down. And uh, this location, if you travel to Jerusalem, you can see the pool of Bethesda. Now, until about 1890, we had not located this and it gave people reason to be skeptical. And so people would say, well, I don't think the, this story really happened. I don't think this took place. In 1890, we actually found it. And so you can go look at it. You can see, and there's four little roofs kind of covering the King James says porches, but, but basically you've got uh, four roofs and there's one that goes over the middle, which would be our fifth. And then there's a pool, uh, a, a place where people could get in uh, the waters of the pool of Bethesda. We're told that Jesus goes to Jerusalem and that there, that there are many people, there's multitudes of people and they are sitting around this pool. Now, how many of you noticed, because you're a Bible scholar, something in the text, okay? Right now, you noticed that we went from verse three to verse what? Now, some of you are like, I've got the King James, it goes to verse four. Okay, if you, if you don't have the King James and you're reading in your Bible, notice we go from verse three to verse five, okay? The reason for that is in the earliest of manuscripts, we do not find what we see in verse four that would be in the King James. Okay, so we're gonna read that in just a minute, but it's not found in the earliest manuscripts. And so the way that we put together the Bible is we're gonna have all of these, uh, you know, the earliest manuscripts that we have and people devote their life to helping uh, give it to us in our native tongue. Okay, and so for us, people have taken the Greek, the Hebrew and the Aramaic and they labor over it. They uh, look at it to different manuscripts, the earliest we can find and they see what is the same. And if anything is different and it comes up later in time, they'll just, they'll take it out. Or in this case, at least footnote it. Okay, I could give you some other examples of this that you can find in the book of John. We'll talk about it later when we get there. But the point is for us, we skip verse three to verse five. But I wanna read for you what verse four says in the King James. And more than likely what happened is at some point over time, somebody gave a little editorial note or decided to fill it in, but it could prove to at least give us context uh, here for the story. And so here it is, we're gonna read verse two through five. 
and uh, include verse four of this in the King James. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. We're told that one man, verse five, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, so let's first look for Christ's glory here in the pool. And so look there, number two in the, in the pool. Now, what... Uh, what I want to give you is this, is it's very possible that this was like a myth or like kind of an urban legend, okay? That if, if you could get to the pool when it is moving, that you could be healed. And so this could be due to a spring. It could be due to an angel, okay? Come down and stir the water. I don't have the context for that. I don't know if I can give you any kind of answer. All I know is that the word on the street and evidently the word in the mind of this man that had been there 38 years, we're told that they thought, they believed that when the waters are stirred, when they move, that the first person that could get into the pool would be made whole. I I have no clue if they ever saw that happen. I don't know. But that is at least what the word on the street is. And verse seven would kind of help bring some context to that. The, the man is later gonna say, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool, okay? Uh, when it's stirred. And so we'll see that in just, a, in just a few minutes. But what we're gonna see is this pool was known for being a place of mercy. If I could get in the pool of mercy, I could be the first one when it's stirred, I could be healed of whatever. I could be made whole. What we're gonna see in the glory of Jesus is gonna be seen in this We're not gonna need the pool of mercy. We're gonna need Christ who is all powerful and the God of mercy, okay? And so we're gonna see that as we walk our way through this. Look with me there at verse uh, six. We're told that when Jesus saw this man, so he saw a man that along with multitudes, he is lying there. Jesus approaches him and says that he saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps in down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. I want you to notice several things there about the man. Okay, so look there at the glory of Jesus. So the glory of Jesus there with the pool was just, look, he, the word is, if I can get to the pool, I can be healed. We're gonna find Jesus going and healing this man. He didn't have to make it to the pool. He didn't have to be first. Jesus just heals him, okay? The second thing though is on the man, notice Jesus's knowledge of this guy, his knowledge of the man. We're told that you know, Jesus is in Jerusalem, but he makes his way very purposefully through this crowd of those desiring mercy. He approaches this one man and he begins to talk to him. He sees him and he knew him. 
Think of the knowledge of Jesus. He knows everything about this man. He knows about his condition. He knows about his heart. He knows what he's thinking. He knows about possible depression. He knows about anxiety. He knows about loneliness. He knows about everything about this man. And we're told that in the text. Jesus' knowledge of the man, we see it. We also see Jesus' compassion for this man. He doesn't just see him. He doesn't just know him. He moves towards his need. He moves towards his need. We're told that Jesus approaches him and he asks him a question that may have been very offensive even to him. Do you want to be healed? Good grief. I mean, like he's been there for 38 years. And when he asks him this, like you see the helplessness and also the hopelessness that he viewed in his situation. He didn't say yes. Like he doesn't know who Jesus is. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, do you wanna be, do you wanna be healed? And, and he, he says, I can't, nobody will put me in the water. Every time, I don't even get there first. And so he's just saying, I, I, the only way I can be healed is if I get in that water. So yeah, if you wanna put me in the water, that'd be great. And we see like his inability, he doesn't know who Jesus is, but he also doesn't believe there's any way for him. Like there's no way for me to get to the pool. Jesus tells him, he says, get up. The very thing that he could not do, he says, get up and walk. And he does, he was healed. He was immediately healed. So we see Jesus' knowledge of the man. We see his compassion for the man. And we see his pursuit of the man, that he just approaches him. He goes to him and, and we see his power, Jesus's power, the glory of his power to heal. This is two weeks in a row that, that we see his power to heal. Like, like he just, with a word, get up. And the man did and he walked. We see here, and this is so important, that Jesus is willing and he's able He's willing and he's able. He didn't just think this would be nice, like he could do it. He was willing and he was able. Jesus saw him, he knew him, he came to him. In this man's helpless and hopeless state, Jesus pursued him and he heals him on the basis of his love and his mercy, not on the basis of the man's performance. The man doesn't show any active faith the man in just a little bit is not even gonna thank him when he sees him again. He's just gonna go tattle on him. Like that's what's gonna happen. Like he, he goes and tells the uh, religious leaders, uh, reports what Jesus did to break the Sabbath rules. He, he doesn't show thanksgiving, gratitude, really faith of any kind. But yet Jesus for just sheer mercy healed him. He healed him. He showed his power in his ability to heal and his willingness to do this. Now, there's so many questions. One question that you might have, and I'll, I'll tackle it real quick. One question you might say, why did Jesus go into a crowd, into a multitude of needs and he met one? Like I, maybe I'm the only skeptical brain in the room, okay? But like when I read the text, that's what I saw, okay? I'm just letting you know a little bit of how I read. Uh, 
the reason why is not given. We don't know. But what we do know is this, is that the God of the Bible and Jesus, we're gonna see in just a little bit in this text, is the God of the Bible. He is wise. He is perfectly wise. He is merciful and he's perfectly merciful. He shows perfect grace, perfect compassion and is always doing what ought to be done. Jesus goes into this crowd knowing exactly what he was doing, healing the exact person that he was to heal. Now, what we see here is a foretaste. It's a foretaste of the healing that is ultimate that is to come. This man, even with a healed body, his body will get sick again. Like it's gonna get sick again. Even if he heals him, he will get sick again. He would die, he died, okay? But Jesus is showing something of his power that's bigger than just this one instance. It's about his desire and his heart and his compassion to heal, period. And we see that here. But I don't have an answer for, you know, why didn't he pick 10? Why didn't he pick 100? Why didn't he pick all of them? He picked one. And in his picking and in his choosing, he was wise. This gives us a foretaste of what will come in the future. So we see the pool. We see the man and Jesus' relationship and his glory seen in his dealing with the man. And then lastly, we see the Sabbath. We see the Sabbath. Now we're, we're told, let me get back to my text here in a font that I can read. Here we go, verse uh, nine at the end of it. We're told that the man has, he was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. That day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, and when we see the Jews, this is not like just, this is referring to the religious leaders. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Okay? So dude has been desiring to be healed for 38 years. He is healed by a spoken word. He gets up and they're complaining. They're mad, they're angry. Now, before you get to on the case of these religious leaders, I wanna tell you about a quick story. Numbers chapter 15. We're told about a man who on the Sabbath day, he walked out, he didn't rest in his tent, he went and he picked up sticks. The congregation was not sure what to do about this and the Lord said, stone him. Okay, he died. For in this situation, evidently deliberately not resting. He went and picked up sticks. Okay, so I'm just gonna join real quick with the Pharisee camp for just a minute. And if I read Numbers 15 and I read Exodus and I read the law, I'm probably gonna come away with, I'm not touching a thing on the Sabbath. If I'm resting, I better lay down. Because if I don't do it, if I pick up some sticks, I might die. I'm serious, join with them for a second. 
And so we've got laws that are there. Don't bear particular burdens. Don't walk a particular distance. These different things that we see during the interbiblical time period, during this 400 and some odd years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, guys got together. And they said, let's make sure we interpret the law correctly and let's interpret the Sabbath correctly and let's obey it perfectly. And so they wrote a bunch of rules. And keep in mind, there was already law and now they're gonna add rules to the law. And one of those laws, and to be honest, it's not that crazy, was don't pick up your bed and walk. Don't carry your bed around. Don't carry your stuff around. Don't pick up a burden and walk with. Don't do that. Dude picked up the sticks, look what happened to him. Don't pick up your bed either. Like that, that's kind of how this, how this happened. The issue is these guys missed the heart of the Sabbath. They missed the heart of the law. They missed the God of the law. And so what happens with them, they have now created this system where this man just was healed. Jesus told him to pick up your bed and walk and he picked it up and they go, what are you doing? Put that down. You're breaking the law. They're ready to kill him. That man, he don't take up for Jesus. He says, it was the other guy that did it. It was the other man. It was straight up from the Garden of Eden kind of talk, okay? It was the, it was the man. It was the snake, okay? It was, like, it, was, it was the guy. I don't know his name. Like whoever it was, like it was his fault. He told me to get up and walk. He didn't say anything about it. Like I haven't been able to walk in 38 years. He didn't say that. He, he, it was him. And you see this fear, this fear that takes over him. And it's the culture of the religious community. Fear, guilt, shame, not love, not rest. The very thing the Sabbath is given to us for, these guys missed. So we see here on uh, this time of Sabbath, Jesus healing a man. They didn't get mad at the healing. They got mad that he picked up his bed. All right, let's go to part three and we're gonna bring all of this together and you're gonna celebrate. It's gonna be good, okay? Part three, we've seen his glory and now we're gonna receive his life and rest in his grace. to kind of walk into this time, that, that Sabbath, the Sabbath that was there, the Sabbath that we find in the law. It is very similar. I'll give you some words from John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, there he is, there he is. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that? There he is, the lamb. Now in the law, of course, we have written, take this lamb, prepare it this way, remember this, remember that. John says, there's the lamb. Right here, Jesus is going to point something to us and we're gonna see it throughout the gospel accounts and we see it also in Hebrews four would be a great example. But that the Sabbath was like the lamb, a shadow. It was a pointing the Sabbath pointed to something that would be ultimate in Christ. And so what we're gonna see here is that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. 
He is our Sabbath rest. That's what we're gonna see. All right, look with me. Receive his life, rest in his grace. I'm gonna combine the first two there so we can spend the appropriate time there under number three, his mercy in our greatest need. I want you to think about Jesus and his knowledge of the man. And I want you to feel this, Jesus and his knowledge of you. Jesus and his knowledge of me. He knows you, according to the Bible. He knows you, he knows where you are, he knows what you need. He knows your pain, he knows your concerns, he knows your deepest fears, he knows the very worst things about you, he knows the greatest gifts that you have, he knows every single thing about you and yet he offers love and mercy to you. In a social media world where we are desiring to be liked, here's what we do good. Here's the best about us, like us. The God of the Bible knows the worst about you and he loves you anyway. He knows you and he knows me. With that knowledge, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has compassion We see nine times in the gospel accounts, his compassion, his desire to take that love and mercy and put it into action to meet needs. Jesus knows where we are. He knows what we need. And in the gospel, we see his moving towards us to meet it. That in the cross, that in his finished work, our greatest need has been met. Romans 8 tells us if that's true, then any other lesser need you have, he's here to meet it in Christ Jesus. He knows you and he loves you. He has compassion for you and he can meet our greatest of needs. I wanna speak to a thought here from the text. So the man is here. He can't move. He can't get to where he needs to. And let's just assume the pool is over here. His only thought is if I can just get you to partner with me to pick me up and get me to there, then I can be whole. Jesus says, get up, you are whole in me. Okay, now here's where I'm going. What is it in your life that you believe is that pool? Because our default, what we go to naturally, this is as an unbeliever, and this is as a Christian, our fallback tends to be if I could just get this right, then everything else will line up. If I could just get into those waters of being married, 
having children, if I could get the right job, if I could read my Bible more, if I could get to church more, if I could strive harder, if I could do this, if I could do that, if I could get in there, Jesus, if you can help me get in there, then I'll be whole. That's our default. Even in regards to Christ, where what Jesus is saying is this, you don't need to get in the pool, I am the pool of mercy. You don't need to get there. If I could just have more patience, I'd be more whole. If I could just have more grace, if I could just have more this, if I could just have more that, if I could get this, Jesus is saying, what you need is found in me. I am the patience you need. I am the mercy you need. I am the grace you need. I have the power that you need. All of it's in me, according to the God of the Bible. And I think like the man, we tend to try to, if we could just get in the pool, Jesus would be better. As opposed to seeing Jesus say, I I am and I have accomplished what you need. So we see his mercy and we see our greatest need, both in the finished and final work of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you sit and you imagine yourselves lying around the pool of mercy, And you say, well, uh, you know, Teresa may have received your mercy, but what about me? The the person over here, I've seen them smiling in their Instagram pictures. So they obviously walk faithfully with Jesus. So if they're walking faithfully with Jesus, I can't. So I must not, you must not have compassion on me like you do for them. I want to speak to this real quick. There is no one in the room. There's no one in the world that if you put your hands out to receive that he won't give it fully. Not a soul. I don't care what needs you feel like you have, what is going wrong with your life, what exists out of your control, what you've brought into this world because of your sin. Regardless, when we lift down our hands to receive, he gives it. He gives it which is very unlike the way we often work, but it is very much in line with how he gives grace. We see his mercy and we see our greatest need in the finished work of Jesus. Now there's an interesting line that takes place that we can't miss. The man is going to find, or actually no, the man is gonna be in the temple, which maybe he was going to celebrate that he had been healed, but he goes in the temple. Jesus comes and finds him. And, uh, and when he talks to him, you'll notice the words of Christ can be rather shocking. And so we don't wanna miss these and send you out the door without addressing it. Let me find it here. Here we go. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, see your well. Look at you, you're up, you're here. He said, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now and I am working. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So quick apologetical question. Is Jesus saying that this man's sin and that, I mean, that this, yeah, that this man's sin or that anyone's sin is causing sickness that takes place in our life, okay? Very quickly, I wanna make sure to say, John 9 will come up in just a few weeks and there's a man who was born blind. The question of the day was, who sinned? Was it mom or dad that had him like this, unable to see? Jesus said, Neither, that's not the deal. He's blind and you're about to see my glory. Okay, what Jesus is not saying is that all sickness is connected to personal sin. That is certainly not what he's saying. Now, if we knew the background of the 38 years of this man's life, then there might be a simple or answer to understand the context here of his statement. I don't know what happened. I don't know how old he is. I don't know if he's 38 years old or if he is 72 years old. I don't know how old he is and what happened in his life or what has taken place or what kind of sin exists. If it's something he's doing to himself or something that was done to him, I have no idea. But what I do know is this, is that, the, that what Jesus is not saying is that all sickness is due to personal sin. All sickness is connected to uh, the fall of man but it's not due all to personal sin. And so we don't really know the situation here. What we do know is Christ's mercy towards this man. He says, man, leave this place and walk with me. Leave this place and walk with me. So let's end our time today with uh, the connection here to the Sabbath rest and see not only his mercy, our greatest need, but see our Sabbath rest. Uh, Colossians 2 the apostle Paul is talking about Christianity. And he's talking about, you know, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And this is what we do in response. This is what, why that matters to us. In Colossians 2, he is addressing the church. And in verse 16, he says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He says, there, these, listen, don't miss it. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so what he's saying here is, by the way, he's not saying rest is bad, okay? Uh, we don't need to rest anymore. Jesus is rested. What, what he is saying, or is our rest, what he's saying is the law where we had the Sabbath was a shadow of, so that we could take grip of the substance which was in Christ. So as far as people worrying about what days uh, of the week to rest on, how long they rest, how they rest, all those things, he's saying that's not part of the situation. Jesus has fulfilled it. He is your Sabbath rest. Romans 14 talks about this too, in terms of in the body, that somebody might say, yes, we must rest on Saturday. And another person says, it doesn't matter what, like what day, why are you worrying about the day? Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He's saying, stop arguing about it. He's saying one day, one might esteem one day more than another. 
but let's not let this be, uh, help us, let's not let this miss Jesus. What I want you to see is that the Bible's point is that Jesus, he is our Sabbath rest. This is very important to me uh, for the last eight and a half, whatever, however many years it is, at my house, nobody's rested, okay? So like there is, there is no real rest. Like I'll go to the beach and people are like, oh, I hope you rested. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, have you been to the beach with four kids? Like, it's like the least rest ever. Like, no, of course I didn't rest. Um, you know, like there's not a whole lot of like rest physically at the Mache house right now. And, uh, you know, I haven't had that for a long time. But recently I have learned that I I got a little struggle going on and it's also, I've I've been struggling to rest in my soul. So I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever struggled with this. Tim Keller says the work that's under the work. Okay. The, the, The thing that like, yeah, I can physically, let's just give, let's just say I could take a nap, which I can't. Okay, let's just say I could. I take a nap, I don't do anything all day it doesn't necessarily mean that my brain's gonna rest. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna feel rested. I don't know if you've been there before. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. But I think it's a ginormous issue, more than likely within this body and with anybody. That we realize that even when we try to rest, we don't rest probably like we ought. I happened to be really struggling with this this past week. In fact, I even began to talk to a a couple people and realized my need for a break, to re, you know, for an actual like rest physically. And, uh, and so I am going to take a vacation here in, in a couple weeks, but But what happened is in this week that I'm dealing with that, I end up in John 5. And in face with this reality that that though I I might think the pool is if I could just have a vacation, if I could just go to sleep for more than five hours straight, if I could just do this. And the reality is those things are gonna be helpful. They would be nice. But what I need is Jesus. What I need is him and to believe his promises to me and to rest in his promises to me. Not worry about what a bunch of people think, but worry about what he thinks. Not worry about what somebody's expectation is, but what his is. And what he's done and how he loves me and calls me and cares for me. Our rest is found in Christ is found in Christ. We, sometime, we should do this, we don't have time today. Sometime we can talk about what maybe some practical ways that we could physically rest would be uh, that could be helpful. That's not today. Today, what we wanna see is that we need to rest in the love of God. And so today, if you are weary and you are heavy laden, come and Jesus gives rest. If you are unable, uh, you're just busy working for acceptance in the kingdom of God, just let it know he loves you and he accepts you freely. If you're working so hard to earn salvation and love from God, just know he gives it freely. 
The good you do, he doesn't love you more. The bad that you've done, he doesn't love you less. Like he loves you because he loves you. Rest in that. He loves you and he knows everything about you. This rest should be extended to those around us. The church is called not only to uh, join Christ and him to take our burdens, but we're then, after he takes our burdens, we're to be a people who bear one another's burdens. And until he stops carrying our burdens, we don't need to stop bearing our brothers and sisters' burdens. Come to Christ today, find your rest in him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to draw us to Christ. May.